Hey everybody. Okay, so this episode's going to be another true crime. This is one that's kind of intrigued me a little bit recently. Um, if you're anything like me, everything you watch has something to do with the morbid, true crime, grotesque, obscure things. Um, so I found this show called Murder Maps on Netflix, and it was just really interesting. I had one case that just kind of jumped out at me and I, and I have a few, um, issues with it. Not necessarily that the episode was done incorrectly or anything like that, but there's some theories and I'm, I'm wondering what you guys think. So I'm going to tell you guys about the story of Dr. Crippen. Holly Harvey Crippen. So H-A-W-L-E-Y, not H-O-L-L-Y. So this story has a couple of little twists and stuff um, toward the end and makes you wonder kind of exactly what was really going on. So I'm kind of just going to dive in. So Holly Harvey Crippen was born on September 11th of 1862 in Coldwater, Michigan. His parents were Andres Skinner and Myron Augustus Crippen, and Myron was a merchant. Um, Holly grew up normal kid, seems, you know, from what I can find, seemed to have a pretty normal um, upbringing. There wasn't anything, you know, kind of overly crazy. Um, you know, parents weren't exactly, you know, well-to-do, but they weren't poor, um, you know, kind of middle class for those those days. So he continues on. He goes to university. Um, he goes to the University of Michigan Homeopathic Medical School and graduated from Cleveland Homeopathic Medical College in, in 1884. So this homeopathic obviously is going to be where they can write prescriptions. They can come up with different compounds and things to help heal. Um, but it wasn't nearly as advanced as things are today. Um, so he was overall kind of a glorified pharmacist in a way. Um, he had married, but his first wife, Charlotte, died of a stroke in 1892, leaving a two-year-old son uh, whose name was Holly Otto in care of the parents of, of Dr. Crippen. So in so this little boy was stuck with Endress and Myron Crippen. Um, he started practicing in New York, so he left his kid with his parents and took off to, to New York to try and start kind of a newer, um, a newer life or whatnot and married for a second time. This woman, um, was born Kunagunda, Kunagurda, um, Makamotsky. Um, very interesting name, uh, but she changed her name, obviously, as it was very hard to say. Um, she was the child of a German mother and a Polish-Russian father, um, and her name was changed to Karina Turner, or went by the name Cora. Um, she was a performer. She really wanted to be a music hall singer, um, really wanted to make it big and, and become famous. Um, so 
Dr. Crippen marries this woman and she doesn't honestly have a lot of talent. She's not very, very good at what she does. She's just only kind of subpar. Um, so, you know, while she kind of sort of has a shot, she's getting into places where she can actually perform. She's getting in, in with these communities of the, you know, actors and singers and, and entertainment society. But she's not quite up to par to be able to headline and become something major. Um, she was very, very overbearing and dominant, um, as a lot of people who met her really just kind of told people flat out, you know, yeah, she's, she's kind of a bitch. Like she just kind of, um, kind of controlled him and, and everything was about her. So, um, she openly had affairs. He knew about them. They, you know, it's not that they didn't really bother him. It's just, what was he going to do about it? He's got this woman, they're married in those days you know, it didn't matter what was going on. You kind of had to stay married. You didn't have really a choice in the matter. Um, so, you know, she just was like, okay, well, yeah, so I'm screwing so-and-so. What does it matter to you? You know, um, I still come home every night. What does it matter? So she was entertaining multiple people, male and female alike. Um, you know, but there are comments here that say, that apparently Dr. Crippen says, well, she wasn't a very sexual person. Now, that may have been towards him. Uh, we do know that their sexual relationship ended in, in 1907. However, that doesn't mean that she wasn't having relations with, you know, other men and women that she knew. So, we can't really say um, as to that. Uh, his comment was not necessarily relevant in those days. So, um, Holly Harvey decided, and I'm, I'm just going to start calling him Harvey because Holly just kind of, I, I keep wanting to turn him into a girl, uh, with that because it's, it sounds like I'm saying H-O-L-L-Y when, when I'm not. So, um, anyway, though he knew she was having all these affairs, um, you know, he just kind of sucked it up and dealt with it. He knew she was there, like they were still having some sort of relationship in, until 1907. So what did it matter? Um, in 1894, Crippen started working for Dr. Munyon's, which was a homeopathic pharmaceutical company. So it was kind of like Pfizer um, and some of these other companies that there were. Munyon's was a bigger company back then. So he was working for them. And... Three years later, in 1897, the Crippens moved to England, but he could not practice in England because his U.S. medical qualifications were not enough to practice in England. He needed to have uh, quite a bit more um, knowledge, and he needed to have other certifications before he could try and practice the same way there. So instead of doing that, he continued working as a distributor of the, of the patient medications. So again, just a glorified um, pharmacist. So Cora began socializing a lot more with many of the players community, which is the singers and actors, um, you know, entertainment, entertainers of the area. 
um, including such people as Little Hawthorne of the Hawthorne Sisters and her husband and manager, John Nash. And Cora was treasurer of the Music Hall Ladies Guild in London. So she really had kind of an interesting group of friends. Um, like I said, male, female alike, she entertained quite a bit. Um, you know, she had singers, actors, um, carnival folks, like all kinds of different people who were in her little circle of friends. So in two years later in 1899, Crippen got fired from Munions. Apparently he had, he had been neglecting his work more um, because of spending too much time on Cora's stage career and managing her and trying to make sure that she could, you know, get out there and become something bigger. So he became the manager of Druitt's Institution for the Deaf, um, where he hired a young typist um, named Ethel Leneve in 1900. Um, she was meant to be his secretary, his transcriptionist, you know, whatever, whatever he needed. But by 1905, so five years later, they were having an affair. Um, the Crippens had moved all over London before finally moving into 39 Hill Drop Crescent, Camden Road, Halloway, London. Um, they accepted lodgers to make up for the Crippen's smaller income. That way they could have a little bit more lavish of a place. Um, but, you know, the more rooms, the, the more lodgers they could keep because they needed to supplement that income. One of the lodgers, who we'll discuss here in just a few moments, and Cora started having a very open affair. Um, and at this point... He decided, okay, well, you're not hiding it anymore. Like, this is just open. You're literally going into his room every night. Um, it's time for me to kind of do my own thing. So he took his um, mistress, uh, Ethel Leneve as a mistress. So they still kept up appearances as a happy couple, as, as a very supportive couple, um, all of that, but that was absolutely not at all what was actually going on with them. And on January 31st of 1910, Cora and Holly hosted a party at their home. Of the guests, they they had a couple of people, um, Paul and Clara Martinetti, and they were very, very good friends of Cora. And they were in more of her group of people than in Harvey's. So... Um, after that night, you know, the, that couple was there until probably 1 a.m. February 1st. And when they left, everything seemed normal. Um, you know, they seemed to be kind of happy. Okay, you know, goodbye. We're going to go to bed. Have a great night. We'll talk to you later. No indication of anything off, different, or strange. Cora was never seen after this again. She was gone. She took off. Something happened. She was not around anymore. Holly claimed when, when people came to ask him, you know, where the hell is Cora? Where did she go? You know, you're going to tell us where she's at? You know, like, why, why is she not around? 
So he's like, all right, well, you know, she had a family member that was sick. So she went off to the U.S. She went to California to go visit with this family. And, you know, she's going to go take, take care of her and she'll be back, you know, after some time. Like, she's just gone to visit. After a little while, um, no one had heard from her. No one had heard, no phone calls, no, te no telegram, because, you know, nothing. There was nothing. No letters, no nothing. So, after so long, you know, they start knocking on his door again. Dude, where is she? Like, why has nobody heard from her? Where is she? What's going on? And then it was, oh, well, she's really sick right now. They, we think that she's got whatever this family member had. So, you know, once we know if she's better, you know, that's when she can come back. But she's got to stay there until she gets better. Again, they come back again. Where the hell is she? No one's heard hide nor hair. How is she doing? And he says, you know, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but Cora's passed away. Whatever this illness was, it killed her. And we've allowed, you know, her to be cremated and she's staying with, or, or she's left in California with family. Like her cremains are there in, in California. So... What they've noticed, though, is that even though she's gone, this little mistress of his has moved in. She has also started wearing Cora's clothes and her jewelry, which kind of showed that maybe she didn't pack up all her shit and go. Maybe she didn't go and visit. Or why would she leave some of her best things for this woman to start wearing if she was just going for a short time. Like, why is some of this stuff... Like, why wouldn't she take these things with her? This girl's here. She's wearing all her stuff. Like, what What gives? So, a couple of other friends of Cora's started coming back around. One of which was um, Kate Williams. She was also known as Vulcana. She was a strong woman with the carnival crew that was there. And she reported um, back to the police when... She and Little Hawthorne and John Nash all got together and started talking. Look, this doesn't make sense. Like, everybody's story he, they were getting from him was just a little bit different. None of the stuff really started to make sense. He even went as far as giving them the story that, no, she just, I was, I was really distraught that she left me for another man. Um, she took off with this music hall actor named Bruce Miller. Well, they all knew Bruce Miller. And Bruce Miller was the same lodger that she was having an affair with openly in front of Harvey. So the one that kind of pushed him into his affair with Ethel and Eve. So he decided, you know, when the cops come and talk to him, the chief inspector, Walter Dew, comes and speaks to him and he says... You know, we're, we're understanding that there's a couple of different stories here. You know, what the hell? You know, tell us what's really going on. So this, you know, this inspector has finally gotten him scared enough to where he says, all right, fine. Yes, she took off to the U.S. She went off with her lover, this guy, Bruce Miller. Um, she took off, told me she never wants to see me again. I'm done. And she's done with me. And they're off having a happy, fam happy family life and, and being happy. And... I'm just here to pick up the pieces. I've got to move on. So, you know, initially they're kind of like, okay, well, maybe that's 
that's quite possible, but why wouldn't she have told her friends? Why wouldn't she have communicated some of this to her friends that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm over this relationship. I'm going to go take off with this guy. We're going to go start a new life together. I just wanted you to you guys to know I'll be in contact, whatever. Or I don't ever want to hear from you again or whatever. Like none of them heard anything. So he's kind of questioning all this. After these interviews and a couple of quick searches of the home, um, Dr. Crippen and Ethel Leneve got a little worried. And I don't know if they just felt like they just needed to get away from all this, but they took off. They fled to Brussels and then they spent one night in a hotel. And then the next day they went to Antwerp, boarded the Canadian Pacific liner, the SS Montrose and headed for Canada. Scotland Yard then came three more times to search the home. But after finding nothing, they finally said, you know what? All right, we've searched and searched and searched this home. What else can we do? There's been nothing here to show any kind of foul play. There's, you know, no evidence to suggest anything other otherwise. Is there anything that we haven't checked? You get one last person that says, look, this basement is like stone and dirt. Like, has anybody th thought to go go down in there and look? Why would they be running away if there's no if there was no evidence here? Something's got to be going on here. So they decide to go and search that basement, and they start excavating the floor. In that final search, they find a torso of a body wrapped in a pajama jacket buried under that brick floor of the basement. Um, one of the, whatever the closest thing they had to a forensic pathologist in the day was a William Wilcox, and he found traces of the calming drug scopolamine in the body parts. Um, the body wasn't identified uh, right away, but they found what looked like a scar on the lower portion of the abdomen, um, and they're saying, oh, well, then that's got to be Cora because she had a scar from a surgery. So it's Cora. That's Cora. Okay. So they identified this, this torso, which had no skeleton. The head, the limbs were gone. It was literally just the meat. I'm sorry, that's a little weird. <laughs> I mean, you see a torso somewhere, you, you're going to have a spine in it, you're going to have ribs in it, you're going to have, you know, there's going to be some identifying factors there, at least to show portion and size, but there was nothing there. It was literally just the meat of the torso. So, as I said, these remains were ID'd as Cora, um, and interred to a cemetery in East Finchley. Um, the, the couple, you know, Leneve and, and Dr. Crippen um, had boarded this SS Montrose as a man and his son. Ethel Leneve actually went into drag and dressed like a young boy because being a girl, having no facial hair, all that. But however... That's all, as much as she did. That's all she did. 
once she got on there, like, she still acted like a woman. She doesn't try to change her voice. She doesn't try to do anything that made her seem like a boy. It was just, I'll dress like it. I'll pass. Don't worry about it. Stupid. Stupid, 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 stupid. So, uh, they boarded the Montrose, um, and they had been having different news things come over on the Montrose. Hey, you know, be on the lookout for such and such. We, you know, we don't know where they're at. And he's like, this is them. I know this is them. And he sends back, um, you know, uh, a message that I guess Morse code message that, you know, these people are here and he knows they're there. So Dr. Um, sorry, Inspector do boarded the SS Laurentic or or Loranic um, from Liverpool and actually arrived in Quebec, Canada prior to the SS Montrose. Because I guess the, the captain of the Montrose decided, all right, I'm going to slow it down just a little bit because we want to let somebody get ahead of us. Um, when confronted, when the SS Montrose actually docked, Inspector Dew just waltzed up on board and was like, hey, guess what? I'm here. You're under arrest. Here's the deal. <laughs> um, and Dr. Crippen actually looks at him and said, oh God, thank God it's over. The suspense has been too great. I couldn't stand it any longer. And he held out his wrists to actually receive the handcuffs. This was on July 31st of 1910. So, Six months after Cora goes missing. And he's he's just over it. He says, okay, fine, arrest me. Um, the trial began in October of, of 1910 with four days of proceedings. Pathologists that included Bernard uh, Spilsbury, who was a little bit larger of a name back in those days, um, he testified that they could, they, they could truly not ID the torso remains, um, or even discuss whether they were, you know, male or female, because they really couldn't tell. Um, so this tells me that, you know, if, if they, they had been buried for a little while, there's really no, um, no telling, like, what the decomp faction, uh, excuse me, the the decomp of the body was at the time, how long it had been buried. Like they couldn't exactly tell that much information back in those days. I mean, they had a generalized idea, but they couldn't ac actually say for sure. Um, so, you know, he's telling them we really, really can't tell. There is a piece of t tissue that has scar tissue. Um, this is supposed to be the abdominal scar consistent with Cora's medical history, um, however, there was a large quantity of the toxic compact compound, um, hycosine or also scopolamine, which was treated actually for motion sickness and post-op nausea in the day and vomiting. It was used as an anesthesia in the early 1900s, um, and used as a psychoactive drug to, um, treat hallucinogenic effects. So all these, these high levels of this, this drug are found in the body. 
Um, and then they've got the scar. And these are the only real things that they have as major evidence against Crippen, knowing that he probably had the, the ability to get to that drug um, and that it was in his home, that this body was in the home. The scar, yes, it could have been Cora, but there's also the possibilities it could have been someone else. So Crippen um, had purchased um, prior to the murder or supposed murder um, and this is the Crippen's defense. You know, they, they, the defense was led by Alfred, Alfred Tobin, excuse me, can't seem to talk too well today, um, and maintained that Cora had fled with Bruce Miller. That was their story. They kept it going. So even if he said, oh my God, I'm so tired of running. Why was he running? Was he just scared because he thought they were going to try and pin it on him? Or did he actually do it? Like, we don't, we don't really know. So, they state that they had only been in, been in the home since 1905, and the remains must have been there longer. So, it looks like those had been buried for a while. Um, and that they had also ascertained that the abdominal scar was really just folded tissue, and that it had hair follicles growing in it. And that's something that you don't have in, a, in scar tissue. You know, as well as I do, you have a scar somewhere, no hairs grow out of that none whatsoever are going to grow out of that scar tissue because all of that, that tissue that builds up, you can't just auto-populate hair follicles in new places without it being done surgically, like for, you know, hair treatments and things like that. Like you just can't do that. So if there were hair follicles in there, then that means that's not scar tissue. It is very possible that that was a folded piece of tissue. So maybe it just sat for so long that it kind of calcified a bit. So it's kind of interesting to look at that and see, you know, how some people can look at it and say, no, 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 that's her, that's scar tissue, that's, that's from her belly, that's her. But as we know now, there's a lot more that you would have to look at in order to figure that out. So, um... Spillsbury noted that the sebaceous glands appeared um, at the ends, but not at the middle of the scar. So, you know, you have these hair follicles and these sebaceous, sebaceous glands around this part. Let's say it looks like a football. So on the two narrow ends of the football, you're going to see these things all on the outskirts, but you're not going to see any of this in the middle because that's that scar tissue. So, um, you know, other, other evidence used by the prosecution was a piece of pajama top identified as a men's top that supposedly had been given to Crippen by Cora a year earlier. Um, the bottoms were found in his possession uh, or in, in his things in the home, but not the top. Um, curlers and bleached hair consistent with Cora's were found with the remains, but I have a little bit of an issue with that. If anybody sees the pictures that I'm going to post with this, Cora had dark hair. It would not have been bleached. So that's another little problem that I see with this. Unless she decided to bleach it later in life and there were no pictures of that, but it's saying it was consistent with her. So not really sure what was going on there. Um, Crippen showed no remorse for his wife during proceedings. Um, and consistently 
was just matter of fact about it all. Um, you know, just, just very nonchalant about it. Found guilty after only two minutes of deliberation. Uh, Leneve got accessory after the fact and she was acquitted. Um, there was no motive given and there are uh, multiple theories here as well. So, um, Crippen was giving, uh, hycosine or scopolamine to Cora as an antidepressant and or as an aphrodisiac, uh, but may have accidentally given her an overdose, then panicked when she died. So this is one of the theories. Um, but I don't necessarily see this as the case. If he's come to grips with her having these affairs and he's gone to start having his own, I really don't necessarily see him trying to drug her to get in her pants. You know what I'm saying? I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. So on to the next theory. So the next theory in 1981, British newspapers say that Sir Hugh Reese Rankin claimed that he met Ethel Leneve in 1930 in Australia, where she told him that Dr. Crippen had, Crippen had murdered his wife because she had had syphilis. So, again, I don't necessarily think this is the case, um... But, you know, this is someone saying that he met her and this is what she told him. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that was a story that he told her just to get her off his back. You know, we really don't know these things. And and that's the whole reason for these type of podcasts. Let's bring out these theories. Let's discuss them a little bit. Let's see what really happened. Let's see if we can figure out and come up with something that maybe makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> now... Crippen was executed. He was hung by John Ellis at the Penneville Prison in London at 9 a.m. on Wednesday, November 23rd of 1910. So very shortly after um, after being charged. Uh, Leneve sailed to the U.S. before settling in Canada, finding work as a typist. She returned to England in 1915, died in 1967, and at request, her photo had actually been buried with Crippen when he died. think that's a little strange. Maybe she was a little too smitten with him. Who, who knows? Um, some of her letters were also buried with him as well, which kind of shows the, the relationship that they had as well. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting to see uh, those two things, you know, being laid with him after he was hung. So she obviously did love him, though. Um, he was buried in an unmarked grave and it's believed that the grave later had a rose bush planted over it and relatives of his from Michigan have actually in recent years begun to lobby for the remains to be returned to the U.S. so that they could be buried with family. Um, let's see... There was a note here, and I'm trying to find out. I've got a lot of different little things um, that were kind of after the fact. Um, let's see. Okay. A junior barrister and original from the original trial wrote a, a book in his of his memoirs. It's, um, as Barry and I were saying, is what the name of it is. 
he noted that although Crippen placed the torso in dry quicklime to be destroyed, he did not realize that when it became wet, it turned to slaked lime, which is a preservative and more like a soap. He used this also as a plot in the novel of the house that Bur Barry built. Um, there was also an American-British crime novelist, Raymond Chandler, um, who thought it was unbelievable that, he, that Crippen would be so stupid as to bury the wife's torso under the cellar floor while successfully disposing of the head and limbs and the, and the skeleton. I kind of con concur with this, because why would he not just dispose of the rest of the body. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense why he would dispose of all of this other part of the body and leave just this piece of meat and torso under the floor. Like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So unless someone was giving someone a message or um something along that lines, I mean I have my theory and I'm gonna go into that here in just a minute. So there was one more uh theory that was worth mentioning. Um, Crippen carrying out illegal abortions um, and the torso was thought to be that of one of the patients that may have died during the procedure and not his wife. I can see maybe in those days him possibly doing something like that. Um, however, you know, I think he had more going on. I think if there would, I think if that was going on, there would have been more evidence of something like that in the home. And I think he would have probably just fessed up to it. No, I was doing this. This is part, this is what happened. And we'd still have some sort of idea what happened to Cora. Again, there's no, nothing of her, um, anywhere. So there also could, included uh, mitochondrial DNA evidence um, since 2007 showing that they had um, still pieces of the scar tissue on a slide. So they were able to take this um, and kind of match with um, genealogy and, and people from her family line. Um, and they're saying that there is no way at all whatsoever that the DNA of this this torso was Cora, let alone female. That they're saying that there's a very, very good possibility this was actually a male torso um, and that the scar tissue was absolutely just, um, just that. It was just some scar tissue um, that was not correctly identified. So... Or that it wasn't even scar tissue. Sorry, I got that a little mixed up. So no, that that's this wasn't even scar tissue. It was it was as they originally said as folded skin. So, um, I have my own theory on some of this. Um, maybe not exactly on trying to solve it a hundred percent, but I think it's a very good possibility that Cora may have just taken off. She could have. She could have taken off with somebody, um, changed her name. Back in those days, it was so easy for somebody to just change their name and assume a new identity and assume a new life. As I kind of talked about in episode one with the Pappen sisters and Leah Papen having to um, assume a new identity in order to find work. So if she was able to do that in similar times, why was it not okay for 
Cora to go and leave everything that she knew and go have a better life. You know what? I want to go. I want to. I want to go take off and be with someone that gives a shit and that I want to be with. Why not go do it? Why not go do it? Go do it if you want to. So, as we know, with this mitochondrial DNA, um, you know, and reading some more of this information, you know, unequivocally, the remains were male. They're, they're seeing this now, like, they know that that scar tissue was not a scar. Um, you know, the traces of blonde hair found at the scene, um, preserved in, they're in, in the Metropolitan, excuse me. Metropolitan Police's Crime Museum. So you can actually see the blonde hair found in the curlers. Um, but again, we don't truly know if she was dyeing her hair at that time or bleaching her hair or what. Again, in those pictures that you will see, she has darker hair. Doesn't mean that this wasn't a light color, but she has darker hair. So I'm also going to say just a little bit more about the fact that um, Dr. Crippen was tiny. He was such a tiny little minuscule person. Um, I look at him and then look at Cora. And from the pictures, she's not tiny. <laughs> I mean, she's not a huge woman, but she's definitely, you know, thick. She's definitely not a double zero little thrower over your shoulder kind of chick. I mean, she would take some work to get her moved from one place to another and so on and so forth. Like to do those things to, to the body, you know, yeah, maybe he could have done that, but to be able to dispose of everything with no help, um, is kind of questionable. So what I personally believe and you guys tell me what you think. I mean, if you think I'm nuts and stupid and that this is not it, you know, just be nice about it. Um, but, you know, if you have a different thought, you know, go ahead. Let me know. Um, send me an email. You know, just zombiemoms at gmail.com. You know, <laughs> um, if you want to, you know, send me a message on the Facebook group for Serial Zombie Moms. You know, it's... um you know, I'll, I'll leave all the information at the end. Um, but if you want to do that, just leave me some messages. I'll be more than happy to read. Maybe I can come back and, and revisit or add on to this episode later as, um, you know, just some notes to it. So let me know what you think. But my personal theory is that maybe she was having these affairs. Maybe he was finally fed up with it. Maybe she threatened to leave. But if this Bruce Miller was still living in the home, we don't know what happened to him. No one's ever tracked this guy down. It was verified that he lived there. It is verified that she had relationships with him. So why didn't anybody go and search for this guy? Or was he missing? So it makes me wonder, was this Bruce Miller drugged and cut into pieces. And maybe it was more of a reminder to Cora, look what I did. 
I mean, you gotta you gotta kind of think a little sick and twisted to to kind of think what they could have done. So what if he murdered this guy and then just kept this portion of him and said, you know what, I'm gonna put this, I'm gonna bury this, just enough to where she can see, I'm gonna come and show her, and that this is what I was able to do because she kept on taking advantage of me. Maybe she did flee. Maybe she did take off. Maybe she was scared of Dr. Crippen and, and Laneve. Maybe the two of them were in cahoots in the point where, you know, they were tired of being, of, of Harvey being taken advantage of. You know, we, we don't know exactly what's going on. This is where things like this are what would make me love to be able to go back in time and just, just find out the details even if I'm just standing in a corner and I, and I just want to know what really did happen. Is he, is he guilty? Is, was he, you know, innocent of it? Um, did he actually do this? Was it something else? Did Cora kill someone? Because why in the hell else would she take off? We don't know if she was actually missing. We don't know if she actually just, you know, fled on her own. There is a full possibility. So it makes you wonder, you know, did did he receive the correct punishment? Did he actually do it? What if he didn't? So what we have found out is that he has... Uh, a distant relative, which is a J.P. Crippen, states that ev there is evidence to show that Cora did come to the U.S. and stay with a relative until 1920. And apparently this is on a census. Again, I don't have this information in my hand, so I can't say personally, but it would be really awesome. Maybe I can get a hold of this J.P. Crippen somehow and see, you know, can you send me a photo of this? Can you send me? I'd like to see this information just because it's really interesting. And he is actually trying to um, get a posthumous, um, you know, relief for Dr. Crippen. And, you know, because... Once somebody's died, they can still say it's like a pu public apology. You know, okay, yes, we charged him. Yes, we sentenced him to death. We have found out recently that this is not the case. But all of this, all these requests have actually been denied. Um, they are not wanting to look at this. And while this relative of his is trying to get him, him pardoned, um... You know, he's still working. He's still working on this from the last um, thing I was able to find. He's still actually actively trying to do these things. But nobody's looking at him because it was a, oh, well, case closed, whatever. There are little theories going around that maybe the cops just kind of planted this torso from the, um, you know, cadavers just so that they could say, all right, case closed. So, unfortunately, there are some crooked cops out there that do things like that, that, that are negatively involved. Um, we would hope that's not necessarily the case, but we do know it has happened. Um, and there are those who are not exactly um, righteous in any way. So, 
anyway, that is my, my post. That is my, um, episode of Dr. Crippen. I will be back very soon with another episode. I'm in the middle of doing a little extra research on. It will be a much larger one, possibly two to three different parts. Um, and this one actually involves um, a family member so of mine. So in one shape, or, shape way, or form. And I will, I will explain that a little bit more on the next episode. However... Um, have a wonderful evening. Thank you again for um, listening, for um, supporting me and in this new new endeavor. This is definitely something new for me, but this is something that I'm very passionate about. I have a lot of fun with it, um, and I really, really, really hope that um, everybody enjoys this just as much as I do. Um, if you can get a hold of me, you can go to Serial Mom Podcast, uh, Sarah excuse serial mom podcast uh, on Facebook and join my group. I'll be more than happy um, to approve the group. Um, also I have some podcast on Instagram where I actually post pictures that kind of go along CC currently and I serial zombie mom gmail.com. If you'd like to email me with other ideas that you'd like me to cover, or if you have a mission or if you just have stories of different things, um, if there's a case that, that really speaks to something that is, um, near and dear to your heart, something that's close to you or involves a family member or a friend, um, anything like that, that maybe has seen some news and has a bit of information that you think that would, would make a fun episode. And I say fun, but an interesting episode. Um, I'd be more than happy to read it or share it on the podcast. So thank you so much, so much, so much for, and have a wonderful day guys. Um, I hope you enjoy.